John 14, 19 through 21. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Good evening. Uh, I understand that many of you don't know me, and I only know a few of you. So I want to start just by sort of introducing myself. Hi, I'm Eric Winkler. Um, I am a student at the Bear Valley Bible Institute in Denver, Colorado, and you as a congregation have provided support me since August when I started my freshman half a year there. I just finished that, and I'll be beginning my sophomore half a year on January 6th. Now, while I'm there, I've been learning more classes based on things within the, within the text itself, within the Bible, as well as different skills that I'll need in ministry, but ultimately my goal is to become a preacher in some capacity. So I just wanted to tell you all thank you for the involvement that you've had and the support that you've provided me, and I would like to tell you all that I appreciate what you've done for me and the influence and the impact you've had in my life and the investment that you've made. So let's get started. I, uh, I remember back when I used to be in Boy Scouts, one of the things that I was very interested in was having stuff and gear. Uh, when I was going to go and do something, I loved to be prepared, as the scout motto said. And I made sure that every time I was going to go and do something, I packed everything I possibly could ready to handle whatever it was that I was going to be dealing with. And one of the specific cases that I remember being most excited about was going to earn my Wilderness Survival Merit Badge. So in order to earn that badge... I would have to go into a selected wilderness, and then I would have to demonstrate my ability to build a fire, find food in the environment that I could eat, find water to drink, and build a shelter suited to the elements that I was in, all within the course of 24 hours. So my buddies and I at camp got as ready as we possibly could. We packed everything that a good Boy Scout should have. Knives, a way to start a fire, knives, uh, maybe a first aid kit, and definitely more knives. And we even went as far, you know, those eight by eight foot blue tarps, we tied those into like one foot squares and tied them around our shins to make sure that we had something to build a shelter with. We were ready to the point of looking absurd, but we were ready to handle whatever it was that we had to face when we were out there. And we actually went out and succeeded, shockingly enough. So when we're faced with a challenge and we have a task that we need, that we need to perform, we have to be prepared to handle it. In the same way in our Christian walk, we have a task that we've been called to perform, and Jesus has not left us unprepared to handle that task, and that's what we're going to be looking at. Our text for this sermon today is John 14, 15 through 31, and we'll be looking at this through the course of four observations, but ultimately the point that I want to give to you here is that we must obey so that the world knows that we love the Father. Now, just to set the scene for this specific passage, Jesus is in the upper room with, his, uh, with the 11 left apostles, and all of them are there, and he is telling them basically the last things that they're going to hear before he goes to be crucified. Now, the apostles don't really understand what's going on. They don't really know what Jesus means. They don't understand the gravity of what's about to happen, but Jesus wants to make sure that they know that whatever it is that they have to face in the world, they're ready to handle it, and we're ready the same way that they are. So let's take a look 
at how Jesus tells them what the task is that they need to complete and the tools that he has given them to complete it, starting with our first observation. Love obeys. We can see this through a number of verses throughout the passage, and we'll be kind of running through this passage, looking at different threads and lines of thinking, and then piecing them all together towards the end. The first one, though, is love obeys. We can see this in verse 15, verse 21, 23, 24, and verse 31, but let's specifically look at verse 21, which says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, let's put this in the context of what's actually happening here in this passage. If Jesus is getting ready to leave and go and be crucified, that means that the apostles aren't going to be literally at Jesus' side anymore. So what's the marker? What's the indicator that tells the rest of the world that they're still at Jesus' side, that tells them who they're following and who these people are obeying? Well, it's their obedience to the will of the Father, and it's their willingness to do what God tells them to do. If they can't literally stand at Jesus' side, they're going to have to obey God, and they're going to have to show the world their obedience to God out of the love that they have. Obedience means that we are on God's side. When the world asks us who we stand by, if they can't tell by our actions, then there's no way for us to just run over and stand next to Jesus because he isn't here with us. What we need to do is obey so that the world knows that we are on God's side. Obedience also means that we're going to be equipped If you notice towards the end of verse 21, it says, And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And that's what we'll be going to be looking at next. But the important thing to notice before we move on is that if we love and obey the Father, we're going to be equipped to handle the tasks that he gives us. If we love and obey God, he's going to take care of us, and he's going to make sure that we have what we need to do the things that we need to do. So let's take a look at the second observation. What does he actually give us? How are we prepared? The second observation is that love receives. First, love obeys, and if love obeys, love receives. If the apostles were to obey the commands of the Father that Jesus gave them, they would receive what they needed to be ready to handle the situation. So what is it that Jesus tells them that they're going to receive? They're not going to receive rewards in this context, I think normally when we, when we look at situations where we're talking about obeying the Father, we think about the first thing that we receive being rewards. We get to go to heaven and we get to go and live with the Father in eternity and we receive eternal life. And that's all well and true, but that's not really what Jesus is talking about here. Instead, here he's specifically telling the apostles that they're going to receive three tools that they can use to help further the kingdom and to perform the task that Jesus is going to give them. So the first one that they receive is the Holy Spirit. Now, we can see this in verse 16 and 17 and in verse 26. 16 and 17 says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then verse 26 says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Now, let's unpack this a little bit. First, I want to make sure that we're clear that we don't receive the Holy Spirit the same way that the apostles did. Jesus, before leaving the apostles, or after leaving the apostles, at the beginning of the book of Acts, 
gives them a miraculous measure of the Holy Spirit that makes sure that they remember the teachings that Jesus gave them, gives them the ability to confirm the word through signs, and ultimately make sure that they can write the books that they need to by inspiration and preach the sermons that they need to by the same, by the same method. We don't receive that the same way. But we do receive the Spirit in a specific way, and that is in the Word. Now, I am, not, I am unfortunately not speaking to you by the Spirit. I did have to write this sermon myself. I'm sure you can tell. But I do have the Word of God, which gives me the authoritative teaching of Jesus that I can then turn around and teach to you with the same authority that he had. As long as I stick within the Word and I use the Spirit in the Word to talk to you, I teach the same way that the apostles did. The apostles had the ability to go and teach the world what they needed to be taught because they had the spirit with them. And we have that exact same thing today. Because we have the word, we have the spirit. And because we have that, we can then go and teach the world. That's a tool that they were given. And in the same way, we are given that tool as well. So the next tool that they are given is the indwelling of the Father, or the fact that they're not abandoned. And we see this in verse 18 and verse 23. Uh, verse 18 says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. In verse 23, when Jesus is explaining specifically what it means that he's going to manifest himself to those that obey, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. What I really want to highlight with this thought is the, the language that is used here to describe this situation. Jesus talks about how he's not going to leave them as orphans and how he's going to make a home with them. An orphan in a first century context would be, in every sense of the word, helpless. If you're an orphan in that time, you don't really have a way to work. You can't support yourself. You can't make money. You can't put food on the table. You don't have a bed to lay on at night. They didn't have anything, and there was no way that they could really take care of themselves because that was a harsh world, and a child doesn't have any way to navigate that harsh world. Jesus is telling the apostles that even after he's gone, he's going to take care of them, and the Father's not going to leave them alone. Whenever we feel like we're alone and we face this spiritual walk and the struggles that life throws at us, we're not alone. God doesn't leave us alone either. If you notice that Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. If anyone does this, this is something unlike the spirit, which was a specific thing to them in the measure that they received it. We all can receive this peace that comes from, or rather this, this relationship that comes from the obedience with the father. We're not left as orphans to face the world helplessly and by ourselves, but God is with us and he has our back and he's going to take care of us and make sure that we have what we need. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not going to struggle, and it doesn't necessarily mean that everything is going to be all taken care of, but what it does mean is that we're never going to face anything that we have to go through in this life alone. We always have him at our side, and we always have God at our back. So the third tool that Jesus tells them they are going to receive is peace. Now, all of these tools are being received because you're obedient to God and because the, the apostles are going to maintain a right relationship with him by being obedient to the things that he tells them to do. And this is the one that really highlights what all of those tools are going to do. So we can see this one in verse 27, where he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So there's a couple of things that we need to notice here. Specifically first, Jesus contrasts the peace that he offers to the apostles 
with the peace that the world can give them. Now, the peace of the world, especially to them, would have been a peace from conflict, like as, as in an opposite of war. If you're at peace in a worldly sense, you're not having somebody actively oppress you and beat you down or keep you somewhere, or you're not having to work through conflict in order to get anything done. And that's not what Jesus is promising them. If we look at the lives of the apostles, before the end of the book of Acts, we see that James and John both are killed at the sword. We see that most, if not all, of the apostles died for sure an uncomfortable death, but a lot of them were killed in very terrible ways. What that means is that Jesus here is not promising them peace like the world, like he says he's not, but rather he promises them a sort of inner peace. And I think this is something that we can understand detached from this when we can look at the context of the whole Bible, but because they're in this specific case, he needs to explain that to them more. They receive an inner peace, and that comes from a couple of things. First, it's peace of assurance in eternity. In verse 19, Jesus says, a little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. Because Jesus lives, they also are going to live. So they can take peace and they can take solace in the fact that after Jesus lives, when he dies and is buried and rises again, they have a chance of living again in eternity with him. Because he lives, we can live also. And we should take peace in that because we have assurance that in eternity, everything is going to be okay. And then he tells them that that peace gives them courage. He ends the verse by saying, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So Jesus is telling them, I'm not going to prevent you from struggling. I'm not going to prevent you from suffering. I'm not giving you the world's peace, but I'm giving you something better. I'm giving you assurance in eternity that everything is going to be okay. No matter what it is that we have to go through in this life, and no matter what struggles that the apostles are going to have, in the long run, they win. And in the same way, we win. As long as we're on God's side, in eternity we get to be with him, and because he lives, we can live also. Everything is going to be taken care of as long as we stay at God's side. We have peace in our relationship with the Father. That love that obeys builds a relationship with the Father. And the relationship that we have with the Father prepares us to face the tasks that we need to have. Which leads me to the third observation that we're going to make in this passage. And that is that love perseveres. Love perseveres. Now, the reason the apostles needed to receive these tools is ultimately because they were going to be facing opposition. When I went to go and earn my Wilderness Survival Merit Badge, I needed to be prepared because it's not the Kitchen Survival Merit Badge. It's a lot easier for me to get water and food and shelter and fire when all I have to do is turn on a stove, open a fridge, and turn on a sink. But when I had to go out into the middle of a forest and I had to go and handle the situation that was there and the elements that were going to be facing me, there was an opposition that I had to overcome. And that's why I needed to be prepared. If the situation is working against me, there are things that I need to make sure that I can overcome it. And that's what those tools that the apostles received are for. And ultimately, there is an opposition that they face, and we face the same one. And we can see that they face an opposition in verse 30. Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. The ruler of the world in the context of this book is Satan. And when Satan is coming and has nothing in Jesus, it means that the apostles are going to be facing something that they can't beat alone. None of us here are able to face Satan by ourselves. And the apostles were the same way. They couldn't face Satan by themselves, and they couldn't even face Satan together as the 11 of them. But they could face him as long as they had God with them. 
and we can face Satan as long as we have God with us. So if we weren't going to face any opposition in our Christian walk, we wouldn't need to be prepared. If there was no struggle in following Christ and there was no struggle in doing the will of God, then ultimately none of this would be necessary. But it absolutely is. We do face opposition, and it is hard to stay faithful, and it is hard to do his work. And what that means is that we need to be obedient to his word, and we need to be obedient to his will so that we can face the enemy that the apostles are being told about here and that we have to deal with now. So we cannot face Satan alone just like they can't face him alone. We have what we need to face Satan so long as we obey This whole passage is about how the obedience to the commandments that the Father gives and the obedience to the commandments that Jesus gives is going to make sure that we can handle anything. And Satan is one of those things. The apostles are ready to handle anything because they have Jesus at their side and they have the tools that they need when he's gone. The fourth and final observation from this passage is that they need to receive these tools so they can show the world that they love the Father. Love represents. The apostles are given a task here. Like, just like I said in my, when I go and earn my badge, I had a set of tasks that I had to complete. If I had to go and sit in the woods for 24 hours, that would be kind of boring, but I could probably do it. But because I had a set of things that I needed to get done, there was, a, there was work for me to do while I was there. There was something that I had to accomplish while I was out in the, in the middle of that space. In the same way, the apostles had something that they needed to accomplish during the course of their lives. And that was that they needed to show the world that they love the Father. And we see that in verse 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. That's what Jesus says that he's going to go and do. And he is the perfect example for us. Jesus' example of obedience to the Father is perfect in every sense of the word. Jesus lives a perfect life, sinless, in full obedience to the commandments that God has given him. And then, even when he was faced with immense grief in the garden before he went to go and be crucified, Jesus cries and weeps and sweats blood because he's so anxious and so worried about having to go and die a cruel death on the cross. But he still goes and does it because he's obedient to the Father. And we need to be obedient to the Father so that the world knows that we love him. Jesus gave us the perfect example of love for God in going and being obedient to the point of death on the cross. And the apostles were told to follow that example, and we have to follow that example all the same. Now, we probably won't be crucified the same way that Jesus, that Jesus is, but that means that we need to obey the Father for a purpose. We need to obey so that the world knows that we love him. And that's why Jesus obeyed the Father, so that the world knew that he loved God. So, to tie this all up, just like my friends and I were prepared to face the wilderness, and we were ready to complete our tasks to earn our merit badge, we have to be prepared to face Satan. And we have to be prepared to show the world that we love the Father by keeping the commandments and obeying him. And the only way that we can be prepared is by love and obedience. So we can receive that the, the help of the Spirit through the word, the authority, the authority to teach what Jesus said. We can receive the peace that the apostles had and the relationship with the Father that they had by being obedient to the commandments that we are given. And all of this means that no matter what opposition we face, no matter what struggle it is that we have to endure, no matter how difficult it is to stay faithful, we will succeed. We'll succeed and we will win in the end. And that's something that we should be thankful for.
So we all face this Christian walk, and everybody has a task that they need to perform. But sometimes that's hard, and sometimes we feel like we're alone. And maybe today you may feel like you can't handle the struggles that God has put before you. Maybe today you feel like some of the things that the world is throwing at you are too difficult. Well, Jesus here tells us that the solution to that is more obedience to him and more love for the Father. So if you need to renew your relationship with God, to repent and confess of your sins and make it right with God with the things that you have done, then the opportunity has been presented to you today. Maybe you aren't saved in Christ and you haven't been baptized, so you don't have the remission of sins that you need. Well, today that opportunity is also available to you as we stand and as we sing.